London Property, home of Super Prime, where you can find informative, educational and entertaining content covering all aspects of property. Hello and welcome to the London Property Podcast. Today we're in conversation with Justin Shingles, who is a lease enfranchisement specialist, and he's going to share some of his wisdom with us. Welcome, Justin. Hello. Hi there. So um, we wanted to just get a glimpse into uh, what it, it entails when somebody wants to get a lease extension. So maybe if we start at the beginning, uh, have you have you been involved since 1993 or? Uh, yes, absolutely. I um, saw this. Um, I was on the first train out as well, I like to put it, when the, when the 1993 Act came in, um, which was the big piece of legislation that in fact changed the whole theatre on which the, the previous market could only extend a lease was only related to small little houses. Now pretty much everything can extend their lease. Um, and therefore it was a, 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 a wonderful sounding point from which to start in uh, progressing this new career for myself. And uh, would you say that uh, the, the way that valuation was was done for, I mean, I know that leases previous to that in 1967, which I'm not an expert of, but there, there was some uh, ability to extend leases, but was there a particular formula? How did, how did the whole thing sort of the, the, the 967 Act only applied to houses and small houses under certain rateable value limits. But when you did have the right to um, seek a, the freehold, as it were, you, what you actually had was a right to extend the lease by a further 50 years on top of the original lease that you had. And then after the first 25 years, that extension, you had to then um, suffer, I suppose, way of putting it, um, what they call a modern ground rent. And so therefore, you, your old ground rent would increase to quite a large amount. Right. And um, are, are those some of the big ground rents that we see now left over or that's just only applied to houses? It's not something. No, that no, not, nothing to do with houses. The big ground rents you see is just to do with landlords setting leases to very um, dynamic rent reviews that may say every 25 years um, be taken as, say, a percentage of the freehold value as at that 25 year review date or a percentage of a rental value. And so, and that was very common in the late 1980s, stroke 1990s, when there was high house price inflation, the landlords realised by putting in these fast escalating ground rents, they could keep up with the, with inflation, I suppose, as a way of, way of putting it. Right. Okay. And then in 93, when, um, when the law changed, uh, obviously, since then, it's changed a few times in favour of the tenant. Yes, but... generally, yes, all the way. Yeah. You know, every time it's changed, it's changed in, the, in, in favor of the tenant. So, what are we looking at now? And we're still using the same formulas that they introduced then. And there's some there's some talk about reviews at the moment, right? Um, well, I think um, I think we don't get confused what we mean by by review. Um, I think you might be thinking about the Law Commission, what its proposals that they put to Parliament, or rather right. the government, um, which the government, which Parliament is intending to put into legislation in the next session, which we're starting from April next year. So when it hopes to introduce it, um, as opposed to reviews in ground rents. Do you follow what I mean? So um, when you're talking about, um, in as far as in the formula, 
when we're calculating the premium that you pay to extend your lease or buy your freehold. Obviously, if there's a passing ground rent, you have to buy that out, what we call capitalise it. Um, but if there's a review, then you obviously have to capitalise the future review that you're going to. So the landlord is compensated for the lost income that he's going to receive or not receive now from that review. So that's what's going to change by way of uh, how it's going to affect the valuation. Yes. One of the things that they're proposing to do is to um, cap it. And we don't write it quite, but the proposal is to cap it to no more than 0.1% of the freehold value of the property. So if you have a, a house that's worth, say, £2 million, then your rent will go no more higher than £2,000. So right. if, your, if your lease says it goes from, I don't know, £1,000 to £2,000 to £4,000 to £8,000 to £16,000 and so on, do you see what I mean? Yeah. It will, it will follow those reviews to the point when it gets capped and then stick at that, that capped amount for the rest of the term. Right. Um, but at the moment, so um, you have to forgive me for being ignorant with my questions, but at the moment when... when um, somebody wants to get a, a lease extension, there's certain formulas that you use for valuations, one of which is they call the relativity. Yes, that's to do that, yes, that's to do with the lease value as a proportion to freehold, nothing to do with ground rents. Right. Yes. No, no, no. I understood that part. Yeah. So what yeah. I'm wondering is is that something that's going to be reviewed as well? Because it was something that was kind of standardized right at the beginning and then never reviewed. Well, fine enough, relativity has never been standardised. It's been a moving target, okay, ever since the 99, well, ever since, well, let's say the 99 Act came in, and certainly from the landlord's point of view, it was one of the big issues that they wanted to try to set down in, in tablets of stone. Now, um, the landlords, obviously, they, they produce what we call a graph relativity, which is simply a curve that plots for any lease length what its percentage is to freehold. Okay. Now, a lot of this has been all been built up from hearsay rather than actual evidence, if you see what I mean. But um, the, the big landlords adopted in 1996 the, what we call the Gerald Eve and the John D. Woodcraft relativity. Though then, obviously, other firms were valuers and things and surveyors that produced graphs that try to um, show that the relative value was higher as a proportion to freehold than the landlord's graphs that led ultimately to this big case in around 2016 known as Monday or Mundy, M-U-N-D-Y, um, where there was an appeal of three properties up for the upper tribunal in order to, to determine exactly what relativity was. Um, and it decided that these the old graphs that were around have served the market well, but in fact, relativity has now dropped compared to what they were. And that's no doubt to do with the, the fact that we've moved from you know, high interest rates to a very low interest rate world. We've also seen in around, around sort of the mid-2000, 2010, um, other um, decisions from the uh, well, then well, the lands tribunal, which is now the upper tribunal, reducing deferment rate, which means that the lower the deferment rate is, the more you pay. So the, the logic is that then so 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 would also the relativity change. And so, where we are now is that the, the way to, to to calculate relativity is if there is a transaction 
as at the moment in time that you put a notice in. So say that you sell your 40-year lease to me, and I say to you, could you please put a notice in um, for a 90-year extension and assign the right to me, and, I, and we agree a price that I pay for that 40-year lease, then that is the value that we start with in order to work out what the relativity is, provided we then make a deduction of what we call the right to the long lease. Because in the marketplace, we're living in an act world. We all know that you can get a long lease or a freehold because the law is law. The 1993 Act is in place. But in order to calculate premium, we have to assume that that act is not there. In other words, you have a 40-year lease, and in 40 years' time, it runs out and you hand it back to the landlord. You have no hope at all that you can extend that lease. And so therefore, you have to discount that lease. And what this, this case decided, there were, um, there were three lengths, there were three leases in question. One was a 23-year lease, another one was 41.32 years, and the final one was 37.71 years. So take those last two and think of them about 40 years, and take the first one and think it about 20 years. They decided that the discount for the 40-year leases was 10% and 20% for the 20 years. Okay. So logic is, then, if you say you had a 30-year lease, for example, we know the discount be around about 15%. And so if, if you pay a million pounds for that lease, and it's um, a 10% deduction, then it's 900,000 as the value of the same lease without that right to the long lease. This is where we are then with relativity. It's basically that you don't need, you don't need to look to graphs at all if there is an actual transaction of the subject property as at the valuation date. And if you just step back and think that most people that sell by leases, if there's someone who's already got a short lease and they haven't actually extended it and they sell it, whereas most likely the person buying it will say, well, thank you very much, but could you please put the notice in so that I can pick up the right that you've earned for have a long lease to save me waiting two further years before I have the right myself. Okay. And so if um, so, so if you imagine that half the flats that might sell are bought by people who are selling short leases, then there is the place that you start. You don't need to look to a graph. If so, there is no transaction at all of the subject flat at or around the valuation date or house, okay, then you have to look to graphs of relativity. Right. Of which there are a number of them, okay? You've got saddles, for example, that produced in 2002 what we call the market graph because it, it, it gave an indication where it thought the value of any lease length was worth its proportionate freehold value in the open market. I Nothing to do with the Leasehold Reform Act. It's just that that's what you paid for it, okay, in the open market. And then they revised that downwards in 2015 in preparation of this Monday hearing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so they are the two graphs that we have that are what we call enfranchisable graphs. And then you have the non-enfranchisable graphs, where again, Savills put out their own version in 2015, which again was put forward in that Monday hearing. As well as Gerald Eve, who before had the 1996 graph, which they then produced another one in 2016 as a result of that Monday hearing, okay, um, which was also revised downwards. And so what we are required to do as valuers is to 
look is to take is to use your own sense as a value of what you think the discount for the rights is, depending on the lease length, okay, and then compare it to the various graphs, and then stand back to think where you think the actual answer lies. So the, the so it really is a science when it comes to lease extensions because there there are quite a number of different things involved in trying to come to the correct number. Totally. And then it is very scientific, but also yeah. you've got to somehow try to find an art in it too, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. And then yeah. the law kind of puts the onus on the tenant to be accurate, less so on the landlord. Well, I think what the, what the proposed changes are, though, they might they just might um, legislate. The government might legislate and say, right, the following percentages will now apply for the for any lease length. So it might say 50, 50 years be eighty percent. Uh, 40 years, 75%, and so on. So you just know that it is just set in, in a tablet of stone what that relativity will be. Right. No, but more what I was saying is that when you, as a tenant, you want to serve notice on your landlord to buy the lease extension, your valuation figure that you offer has to be accurate. Otherwise, no, with no it's just got to be, no, not at all. It's just got to be a reasonable offer. It's a bit like a first bid at auction. Right. And if it's not reasonable, then your notice is invalid. Whereas if the landlord counter offers something unreasonable, it doesn't affect their no, it doesn't. It's one, it's one, it is a sound a bit weird. It is actually one-sided at that point. Um, the tenant has to make a reasonable offer. The landlord can make whatever counter offer he likes. Yeah. Um, but as I say, so if, the la- if the tenant offers, say, a pound, then that would be unreasonable. Yes. You see. I mean, I'm just dealing just this very morning, as you know, um, by we're slight delayed speaking with a case where I gave advice over a year ago um, to a client. Um, and just before COVID started, a year later, he put a notice in, but decided to knock premium down by 30% to what I had advised he should start at. Okay. Yeah. Now, therefore, the premium was very low, which cannot be supported in the sense because the 30% discount comes to like saying the freehold value is the same value as the existing lease because his lease, is, his lease is around 40 years. Okay. And so you can't see the logic of it. But the interesting thing is that the landlord has not denied his notice. His landlord has accepted his notice. Okay. But mm. come back with their counter notice very much exactly where I thought they would do. So you could say on one hand, say, well, this particular client of mine was not being reasonable because he'd knocked off 30%, but then I'll say, what? It's just the first bid at auction. But the point was he made a very substantial offer in you know, many hundreds of thousands of pounds, okay? Not, yeah. not a ridiculous offer of just tuppence, as it were. So um, you see, so you can start, you can start, but it's, it's the difficulty from a value is that where you've got to start, you've got to try to support it. So, you, I, you know, if I have to produce this valuation, it won't make sense because you know, the rate I need for the freehold value is going to be very similar to the rate I need for the leasehold value. So does that mean that uh, because of the situation we're in with COVID that they're going to take a view on the, on the, on the offer by, by making this counter offer? At well, a I don't think that's particularly to do with COVID. I- I think that was just obviously perhaps something that's more of the, the moment, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, rather than what this, my client thought at the moment, bearing in mind he's sitting abroad and just sort of looking back 
back from afar of what he might assume the property market was not doing in respect of a flat. Okay, And certainly when we've been now through first lockdown, then release, and then next lockdown, then release, and next lockdown, where you then heard about this, the market itself taking off, if I could put it that way, um, yeah. and, and maybe more particularly with uh, property that has outside space compared to property that has no outside space. Well, I can totally understand that. And the interesting thing is, is that even when, um, for example, just oh, two or three weeks ago, in preparing for a, a very big case before the uh, first-year tribunal, I wanted to introduce um, another house comparable to the, the subject house that I found had just sold but it was after the date that we had the last index, which was the March index. We now have the June one, but the March one. And my opposite valuer said, I'm not going to rely on that at all because the market's taken off. It's just going to, it's going to send us nowhere. It's going to give a distorted result. Obviously, you want to say that because it wouldn't have helped him. But the interesting thing is, when the index did come out for June, it showed hardly any change whatsoever. And in fact, it showed that flats in central London, prime central London, dropped by 0.5% by memory, whereas the houses have gone up, oh, 0.7 or something. So it was very much a pretty flat market, not this great big takeoff market that he feared had happened. Yes, I think the takeoff was more activity than price, wasn't it? Exactly, exactly. And I think it yeah. is when you see agents report, they say, you know, activity is up 50% more than it was this time last year. Many, many people looking. But doesn't mean whether they're going to go through with it, or you know, you're selling fifty percent more. Yeah. Um, now you and I could go on talking about this forever because I do find the subject fascinating. But just for our listeners, if somebody, a tenant, wants to embark on the lease and franchisement process, can you just quickly tell us what's the financial process and exposure that they, they should be expecting, where to start and where to end, and how long does that go on for if they agree and if they disagree, just kind of in a nutshell? Right. OK, well, obviously, as I say, you're going to start with making a reasonable offer and then the land will come back two months later with their counter notice stating the price or stating, first of all, that they accept your claim, but not the price you offer. And then they will come back with their counter offer premium. You then have a period of two months. Uh, to try and negotiate uh, before either side can then apply to a tribunal to have it listed for a hearing. And the latest date that the tenant must apply, or either side, but obviously it's tenant-led, um, because the landlord may want to see whether the tenant does not apply, and therefore they have a deemed withdrawal. So the latest date the tenant must apply is six months after that counter notice. So let's just imagine that you, you put a notice in on the 1st of January. On the 1st of March, they come back. Then you must apply. By, so your earliest opportunity to apply is the 1st of May. And the latest opportunity would be about, uh, what do I say, uh, January, March. So that would be the 1st of September in order to preserve the claim. If you don't, then you've, then you've lost the claim and you have to wait a further two years if you're, if you're not already the leaseholder. But if you already were the leaseholder, then you have to wait a further year before you can start again. So um, if then steps, but put aside that, um, no one wants to go to the tribunal. We all try to settle, okay? It's just that you have that ability to put a notice in, to know that you can bring it in front of the tribunal just to make it happen. They Normally, the, the negotiations take between six months and nine months, um, perhaps up to a year. From, from start to finish? From start to finish, yeah. 
and then you put down te- uh, the the offer you make. You put down ten percent of that at the time that you serve the notice. Yes. Yeah, so when you serve a notice, you then put ten percent down. It's held on a scrow um, by the landlord or stakeholder, which means that if the if the, the transaction goes through, he receives the interest on the money, not that there's much interest. And then obviously that 10% is deducted off the final premium, the settled premium. And you're you're also responsible for all of the landlord's valuation and legal expenses? You're, value, you're responsible for the landlord's um, reasonable statutory valuation and legal expenses. So obviously the valuation is not the valuation. You're not, you're not going to pay the landlord's costs for his valuer to negotiate with your valuer. And most importantly, not for their valuer or their lawyers or their barristers to take it in front of a tribunal. You pay for their legal expenses in checking the validity of the claim and basically the conveyance, i.e. agreeing the terms of the new extended lease with your own solicitor. Another interesting thing, too, is also that when people extended the lease by a further 90 years, there is a Section 61 break clause, which means that the landlord, within the last year of the previous lease length, could um, seek to break that lease and pay you the 90-year lease value because, remember, you've extended it. So you say you had a 15 years to go. You added yeah. 90, so you have 105, had 105 years. Move on 15 years, you with me? You're down to 90 years. Okay? Yeah. And the year before that, 90 years, so when it's 91 years, you see what I mean, the landlord has the right to break that original lease, provided he can show there's a major development he wants to carry out. So just imagine you have a first floor flat in a nice period house, and he wants to show that he wants to turn the whole building to a lovely house as opposed to a building of five or six flats, and that the value of that building as a house is worth substantially more than the value of that building as five or six flats. Um, then he might Then he might want to... Uh, exercise section 61 to break that lease. Now, the point that I want to make is that I don't know of any landlord has broken that lease since 1993, or any lease. Well, I, I guess partly because those leases haven't come to their last 12 months. I, no, I they, am have. they have. Oh, they have. Exactly. So all these ones in Cadogan Square, I think, were 2023 by memory. Oh, sorry, haven't. yes, sorry, that's in two years' time. Yeah. Um, um, but there were, I think there were quite a lot in Lennox Gardens at 2015, I remember, that were all expired. Right. And but so, now they've got the planning working against them because they can't amalgamate. Yes, but also, also I think more importantly, the, the planners don't want to lose accommodation, do they? They want to, to make sure there's more accommodation available than less. Yes, well, it's one to watch, but I, I, I imagine that it's, it's, it's an unlikely thing in, in our markets for somebody to exercise that redevelopment clause just because they won't they won't have any uplift because they won't be allowed to put the building back into one house un, un, unless yeah. it's a really exceptional circumstance with listed or something. But it's been fascinating to speak to you, Justin. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And okay. obviously, if anybody, any of our listeners need to get in touch with you, you are in our experts directory and they will be extremely well looked after with your experience and expertise. Well, thank you. I've obviously delighted to help them. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the London Property Podcast. Head over to londonproperty.co.uk and subscribe to our newsletter to receive latest updates.